0: What I want you to do is turn in your Bibles to Psalm 27. We are in a verse-by-verse study through First and Second Samuel. We'll be in Second Samuel 16 this morning. And just where we are in the narrative, David has sinned in an incredible way. In that sin, and when God confronts him, David repents in a godly way. He's a broken man and he's a restored man, but in that, God has pronounced a judgment on David and on his household as a consequence of his sin. So in the narrative after that, we're watching these consequences come about. So last week, we're watching his son Absalom is seizing the kingdom from King David. And in this, we can poke a lot of holes at David's in his parenting. We can poke a lot of holes in his leadership. But that's not, the text doesn't give us the attention to those holes. The Word of God wants us to pay attention to David's faith in God. So last week we read as as David is leaving and he is fleeing, he says out loud that he doesn't know if God still finds favor in him. And if God's going to find favor in me, then I know that he's going to bring me back and that I will worship in his presence. If God has stopped finding delight in me, and he wants my son to take the kingdom, then let God's will be done. David is demonstrating for us a very open-handed relationship with God in in this brokenness, right? He's been broken in regards to his sin. He has been forgiven much, loves much. He is not going to allow people to die to protect his kingdom. He didn't make himself king, God made him king, and he's not going to seek to retain the kingdom through his own power, but we're watching him demonstrate his total trust in the Lord. The end of chapter 15, we're introduced to Hushai and Ahithophel, and they'll show up in this morning's text. But I've titled this morning's message, Breathe, and we're gonna end up getting into a word study in this idea of breathing. But here's the the major idea. When it comes to your own personality, just depending on what, what, what constricts you, what you know, what's that you know, the, the the circumstance where you're gonna feel claustrophobic, that you can't breathe, that's you need to you need to bust out of whatever you feel is confining you. It might be politics, it might be a relationship, it might be you're a warrior and you have anxiety. There's a whole bunch of things that make us feel like we're constricted, right? And we can't breathe, and we don't have freedom, and we're being controlled. This whole idea that we're gonna sit in this morning is this word breathe. And it comes out Of being refreshed, it comes out of this word rest, and this word is what sent us into what's what sent me into Psalm 27. So there's one line of what I came to this psalm for, but I think it's great for us to read through Psalm 27 because I think it gives us a snapshot of David's heart as he is sitting in his circumstance. We're not told the time that David wrote this psalm, but we can see him writing it in light of this morning's narrative in 2nd Samuel. So this is Psalm 27 it says the Lord Yahweh the creator of the heavens and the earth he is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise up against me in this, I will be confident this is awesome one there's one thing i have desired of the lord that i will seek that i may dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the lord and to inquire in his temple listen this is we have all kinds of desires goals motivators in life these things that we're seeking after Again, this is, this is a reminder. One thing. This needs to be the foundation of your life, the foundation of, of all that we are and all that we're pursuing is our relationship with the Lord. Who is he? What does he want from me? What is he leading me to do? How is he changing me and transforming me? Again, the the filter of life needs to come through this one thing. One thing, Lord, I want to see you. I want to be like you. I want to know you. I want to abide with you for all of eternity. Let that be the one thing that as you process through the other events of life, which are many, the one thing, that foundational, that your desire, that you seek after, would be to know your God and to dwell in his presence. And that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 5, for in the time and the day of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy, of shouting in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. As such, Is breathe out violence, and there's our word for breathe. You watch. this, uh, we're going to see a man named Shimei today breathing out violence towards David. You go sit in Acts chapters 8 and 9 where you have Stephen being stoned and Saul before he became Paul the apostle is there giving consent. It says that he's making havoc of the church. Acts chapter 9, nine begins with that Paul was breathing out threats and murder against the church before his conversion that we see there in Acts chapter 9. But again, your breath, this is something Paul was breathing into his lungs and the words that that air in his lungs that were coming out with his breath was that of threats and violence. And as we get into this morning's text, we're gonna watch Shimei do that same kind of breathing out, but we're gonna watch David and those who are with him take a breath and be refreshed, and be at rest in the position, even though the external environment is very harsh, they're finding faith, and rest, and refreshing in the Lord. Verse 13 says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We are not just looking for God to fulfill his promises in heaven, the new earth, the new heaven, and eternity. We We have confidence that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And what is David's encouragement to us in verse 14? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Have you ever had to wait on God? Is it fun? No. What's he doing? He's making himself known to you. Learning how to trust him. Do you believe his words? Do you believe what he said? Do you believe what he's promised to you? Wait on the Lord. Don't move unless you know that the Lord is telling you to move. Wait and have confidence in him. Take courage and be courageous. All right, all of that is a... I think is a background for David's heart as we process through this morning's chapter in 2 Samuel 16. So it says, when David was a little past the top of the mountain, so remember, he's come out to the city of David, he is, which is Jerusalem, crosses over the Kidron Valley, the brook Kidron, and now he has ascended up the Mount of Olives in weeping and mourning. When he gets to the top of the Mount of Olives, he is worshiping, and now they're a little past that as they are traveling towards the Jordan River. It says, when David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, And on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, The donkey are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint, literally weary in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said... And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, today, the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor, favor in your sight, my lord, O king. Now, if you haven't been here, you don't know who Mephibosheth and Ziba are. If you haven't read this passage before, we've already covered these characters in depth. But Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, who is the son of King Saul. Jonathan and Saul died at the same time when Jonathan and Saul died. Mephibosheth's nurse picks him up to flee. Just as David is fleeing from the wrath of Absalom right now, This servant that picked up Mephibosheth to run with him and flee thought that she needed to flee from the wrath of David and whatever was going on. In that fleeing, she dropped Mephibosheth and he became lame in his feet. That's in 2 Samuel 4. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, as David has been established in his kingdom, he remembers his covenant of kindness with David and his relationship as best friends with David and has that desire to fulfill that kindness, to fulfill that oath that he gave to Jonathan, looking for a descendant of Jonathan to demonstrate that loyal love, that kindness of God towards. And this is Mephibosheth. So Ziba is is one of Saul's servants. He knows where Mephibosheth is, and he's serving Saul's household, and he's serving Mephibosheth. Brings Mephibosheth to David, where David now brings Mephibosheth to eat at the king's table all the days of his life. There's an intimacy there. There's a a worship there, the incredible imagery. If you don't know the story, go listen to the teaching on, on 2 Samuel 9. Absolutely fabulous imagery. So what's going on here in this text is David is fleeing, right? He was the king, and the king is now fleeing. And David has already identified his son Absalom as king. He's being replaced in this moment. And as he's leaving, a man from the house of Saul shows up. And David doesn't know what to expect from a man from the house of Saul. During David's entire reign, there has been a political contingent in the community and in the culture that still supports Saul and Saul's descendants as the rightful heirs to the throne. So that under, you know, that political tension underneath the scenes has been going on the whole time. So when David is fleeing from Jerusalem, these first couple of interactions here, they're dealing with members of the household of Saul. So when David sees Ziba come to him with all of these supplies, he's immediately, what's this for? You know, are you for me or are you against me? These these are to supply you, King David. So there's that tenderness and that service of Ziba towards David. But Ziba has hidden motivations Behind the scenes because he lies about Mephibosheth. We're gonna see that Mephibosheth and his lameness, he wasn't able to flee. So when David ends up coming back later on, we're gonna have an interaction between he and Mephibosheth. But right now, David, again poking holes in his leadership, poking holes in his flesh and the stress that he's in in this moment, he believes the words of Ziba immediately in contrast to that daily relationship that he's had with mephibosheth as mephibosheth has eaten a daily meal as a king's son at his table he believes the testimony of ziba in regards to mephibosheth mephibosheth is hanging back because he's looking to be restored to the throne of saul is what ziba is accusing him of, of him of which is totally false and we'll see later on in the narrative now, another man of the house of Saul here in verse 5 it says, Now, when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. And here's our man breathing out violence. He came out cursing continually as he came, and he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were who, who were on his right hand and on his left. So get, get the scene again, this, this whole group that is coming out of Jerusalem in mourning, in worship, in fear. You have household, you have women, you have kids, you have his close military guard with him. I don't know the number of people, but here's this singular guy on the edge cursing. And again, these are the curses of the day, but he has this boldness and this courage that while David is down, let's kick David in the teeth is what he's doing. He's picking up rocks and throwing them. He is breathing violence with his mouth. And we get the reason why here. It says he's throwing, uh, so verse seven says, also Shimei said thus when he cursed, come out, come out. You bloodthirsty man, you rogue, literally, you man of bloodshed, and you man of Belial. If you called somebody an SOB in this culture, a son of Belial, you are the son of the devil, is what he is saying to David. You are a man of Satan, you are a man of murder. This is Shimei's perspective. The Lord Yahweh has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. You are a man of murder. Now, Shimei is not referring to David killing Uriah. Shimei is sitting in the perspective that David stole the kingdom from Saul. He's not sitting in the perspective that God is the one who removed Saul and anointed David. So again, there's a whole political churning that's been going on in the culture during David's entire reign that has this perspective, that looks at David as you're the one that killed the house of Saul and has killed all of these members. You're a man of murder. You are a man of the devil. What do you do with this? Anybody gotten in your face and called you a son of Satan? Abishai, verse 9, the son of Zariah. Remember, this is uh, Abishai is one of David's nephews said to the king why should this dead dog curse my lord the king please just give me the word let me go over and take off his head (laughs) i'm really thankful that we live in the time that we live in can you imagine this being a a just and good thought in your mind to say that that guy right there needs to have his head removed from his shoulders not the heart of god so what does david say but the king said what have i to do with you you sons of zariah again david uses this term to joab and abishai a a few times because these are men who are they're violent men for sure with restraint and without restraint we see in their stories so let him curse Because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, see how my son, who came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more may now this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse? For so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction." and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. Now when the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. Get into David's heart a little bit. Here again, David in his submission to God, for me, he's expressing the heart of Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus gives that first instruction that he is going to head to Jerusalem, and when he goes to Jerusalem, he's gonna be handed over to the priests, he is going to be mocked, he's gonna be scourged, he's gonna be killed, and he is going to raise again. What does Peter do? Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, No, no, that is not going to happen to you. Not so, Lord. What does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Calls Peter a son of Satan, a son of Belial, a man of Belial in that moment. And he tells Peter, it's because your heart, your heart, it's not on the heart and the mind and the things of God. Your heart is on the things of men. You are only seen in the physical plane and how you can reason things out. Because Peter, in what he is saying to Jesus, he's trying to stand in the way of Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of all humanity. And if Jesus does not, did not die for our, for our sins on the cross, then we are all still dead in our sins is what the word of God teaches to us. So David has this same heart for me where he is imaging Christ as he's speaking to Abishai. Abishai, I don't have anything to do with you. You're a a man of violence. How do we know that God has not sent Shimei to curse me? I don't know what God's will in this moment. I know what God has said. God has forgiven me of my sins, but he said that the sword was never going to depart from my family. God said that these events were going to come about in my life, and if I still have favor in the eyes of God, let his will be done if God is done with me in the flesh, I know that I'm going to see God for all eternity, but if he's not delighting me as king, if he doesn't want me to be king, if he wants Shimei to come and curse me, I'm willing to take from the Lord both blessing and cursing. Whatever the Lord's will is in my life, I trust the Lord, and that's what I want. So that's David's heart that he is imaging in this scene. We're going to come back to this idea of that they refresh themselves. That is where we pick up this word breathe and rest. Um, But let's finish this chapter and then we'll end back in that word study. It says, Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. remember Ahithophel was introduced last week. He is the grandfather of Bathsheba. Ahithophel's son Eliam is one of David's mighty men who would have been a soldier and brother with Uriah, the man that David had killed. Bathsheba being the daughter of Eliam. So Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandpa. Ahithophel has a blinded, passionate, aggression to see David fall, not for the Lord's will, but to see David suffer for the suffering and the shame that David brought into his family. And Ahithophel is defined as a very wise man. He's a counselor of David. He's now become a counselor of David's son Absalom in this coup. Verse 16, and so it was when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king. Long live the king. Now remember, at the end of the chapter, last week in chapter 15, Hushai is a friend of David. David has sent him back to remain so that Hushai can defeat, to give contrary counsel to Ahithophel. Because David is afraid of the advice of Ahithophel. So... When Hushai says, long live the king, who do you think he's talking about? King Absalom or King David? He's talking about King David in his heart, but out of his mouth, Absalom thinks he's talking about Absalom. So Absalom says to Hushai, is this your loyalty? Again, your your covenantal love to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, no, but the Lord and this people... And all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Again, who is he talking about? Absalom or David? He's talking about David underneath. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence. Serve David in his presence, and I'm still going to serve David in your presence is is uh, the words underneath the surface. So verse 20. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give advice as to what we should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, go to your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred, that you are a stench, that you stink to your father. Then the hands of all those who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as one that inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. This is really uncomfortable because It is evil period. It was evil then, and it's evil now. But here's the plot line carrying through the biblical narrative. David took a woman, another man's wife, into his bed, and he did it in secret. God confronted him of that sin. David repented of that sin. God forgave him of that sin, and he's sitting in brokenness. But even in that forgiveness, God said that what you did in secret, another man is going to do to your wives in public. Now, this is not God commanding and bringing about evil. What this is, is God withholding his protection. When we say that God is my savior, that he is my deliverer, that he is my protector, there's this cry and this understanding and this, this prayer to God to deliver us out of danger. That's what salvation is. And a, as a consequence of David's sin, in breaking that image and everything that was going on, God says, I am going to stand back and not deliver. So again, this isn't God bringing about evil and doing evil. This is God withholding his protection. As you said in your own life, in your own relationship, there's many times where we can cry out to God and say, God, where are you? Or where were you in this moment? There can be a God's will is being performed and we trust him and God is standing back and allowing A circumstance, even an evil to occur in his grand scheme. There are consequences in our own lives that can be brought about because of our sin, even though we are forgiven through confession and faith in Jesus Christ, that God can still stand back and allow those consequences to come into our life because of our disobedience. There are things that other people can do in our lives where God has the outstretched arm of power that he can stop it, but still that God stands back and we have to sit with the heart of David. God, I know who you are. I know that you are good. I know that you are light. I know that you are love. I know that you are not evil. I know that you are just. I know you have a plan and a purpose. In my vision, I can be in complete darkness and fog and not understand what the Lord is doing, but this is where the confident is. confidence is. This is where the one, one thing, Lord, that I desire, and that's you. I know you to be who you've made yourself known. I know the cost of the cross. I know... What I've been forgiven of. So when I filter through my life, there's not a single good thing I deserve. Anything I get from the hand of the Lord, and His deliverance, and His outstrain, it is a gift of grace towards me. And God is gracious, and God is merciful. And I trust Him even in the midst of that's evil. As I sit in this subject matter this morning, the advice that Ahithophel is giving to Absalom is evil advice. David's relationship with multiple women as wives, it is not the heart of God. David has handpicked women to stay behind because of the political implications of those wives going with him. So he leaves part of his harem behind. And Ahithophel's advice is, Absalom, go into your dad's harem publicly so that you make yourself a stench to King David. Because if you do that politically, you're going to strengthen the hand of the people that have just stood up in rebellion to the anointed King David. They're going to see your boldness. And your fist that you're shaking at David, they're going to be strengthened in their position because they're going to see you're not holding back at all. That's a Fells advice. Wise advice in the political intrigue of the time. Evil advice in the face of God. Evil advice in the face of the culture. Evil advice as we sit in, in this text. Did these women have a choice? No. The property having sex with a woman without her permission and choice is defined as what rape absalom seizing a kingdom founds his kingdom on rebellion and rape he because his dad didn't enact justice upon his brother Amnon raping his sister, Absalom takes authority and justice into his own hands and kills his brother, right? Absalom is now guilty of the same sin that he was so angry at Dad at for not doing anything about. This whole scene, evil, and the evil that is being brought about is God standing back as a consequence to david's sin even though david is forgiven he is repentant there's still this consequence according to the will of god in his life is that comfortable at all do you find do you find in that in what i just talked about for the last five to ten minutes do you find space to breathe right there or does that feel really constrictive and kind of it grabs you by the throat a little bit, yes? What human beings do to other human beings grabs me by the throat all the time. There are, some, there are the, Again, I'm not going to get into it, but uh, there are just subject matters in our culture that would be defined as good by the culture that God stands in that gap and says, that is evil. That has nothing to do with my heart. That has nothing to do with the heart of my children. And God transforms our hearts and our minds. So, even as we sit in that subject matter and feel choked a little bit because it's uncomfortable, we're going to press into this idea of breathing freely. And this is this idea here in verse 14, where they're weary, they're worn out, and they, they're in this position, they're in this community, wherever they are, it says that they refresh themselves. And they put themselves, how they do that, I mean, is everybody taking a spring bath? they sitting down, eating, drinking, I don't know How? other than that they're refreshing themselves in their relationship with the Lord. It's hot, they need water, they need to eat, they need to take a break, wash the the dirt off their feet, whatever that may be physically, but I'm really pressing into this in a spiritual way. Because this is the idea when it comes to being refreshed. And it's the idea of being able to breathe freely even when the circumstances feel like they're choking you out. And this is the trust and faith that we have in the Lord and what he desires to bring into our life and this is Old Testament and New Testament turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 28 we're gonna have a few examples of this encouragement to be refreshed in the Lord to be able to breathe freely and rest in the Lord That encouragement, but people making the choice not to do so, not to listen to the encouragement. So in Isaiah 28, there are multiple woes that are being pronounced in this section. And verse 9 says, Whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just drawn from the breasts? For precept must be, taught, must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And the idea that's being conveyed here is when you're a baby and you're just being weaned off of milk and you start a solid diet, there's a, there's a progression of diet from babyhood to adulthood. As we grow in the Lord, there's a progression from being a baby in the Lord, being young, immature, growing and maturing and becoming strong in the Lord and his word. That comes through the word of God. Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. God continues to grow us in our experiences, our understanding of him, and that causes our faith to grow, that's the idea. Verse 11 says, For with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest, with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was to them, And this is like the Word of God is obnoxious. It's precept upon precept, it's line upon line. Here a little, there a little, it's boring, I don't care. And God's saying, here is where you will find rest. It's in me. Here is where you will be refreshed in the midst of being weary in this life. Here is where you will find the space to breathe freely. It's found in the Lord, and the Lord is found through his word. But the warning is, yet, they would not listen to the encouragement. Turn over to Isaiah 30. A couple of pages. The same idea comes out in Isaiah 30, verse 15. Thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. In returning, this is... In repentance, you've been gone, you've been away, you've been driven out, you've been in your own life, in the culture, your own. In returning to the Lord is the idea. And rest, you shall be saved, delivered, saved from sin, saved from danger. In the returning and rest, you shall be saved. Not just turning to the Lord, but resting in him. In quietness. And confidence shall be your strength. Not boasting with your mouth. It's not name it and claim it. It's not condemning the culture and cursing the darkness. In quietness and in confidence in God shall be your strength. But the warning is you would not. Turn to Jeremiah. Next book in your Bible, chapter 6. Verse 16, same idea. Jeremiah six sixteen. thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. In it. You hear the contrast? Isaiah and Jeremiah are preaching to, they're 150 years apart plus, a couple of hundred years apart, preaching to the nation of Israel at different times. Same sin issues are going on though. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He's calling all of us to turn into Him through His Word. This is where you're going to find that space to breathe. This is where you're going to be refreshed in your soul. This is where you are going to find rest. And all of this imagery ultimately points to Jesus Christ. So Acts chapter 3, this is where we're going to end. The scene is a man who has been lame from his mother's womb, just like Mephibosheth, broken in his legs. Here is a man who has been born broken physically. He has been healed by God through the... Uh, through the hands of Peter and John. As people are questioning this, Peter stands up and he is preaching this message. And we're only going to press into a portion of it. So this is Acts chapter 3, verse 18. It says, Those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled... So what do we do with God being faithful to his word? Sending prophets in the past like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, like David, preaching the word of God to us, revealing the heart, nature, character of God. God has fulfilled all of these things in Christ. What do you do? Verse 19, repent. And this idea here for repent is to reconsider. Reconsider, therefore and be converted and return. Why? That your sins may be blotted out, erased. You sit with David in his context, his sins were blotted out and erased through faith in God, looking forward to the coming Messiah, we sit looking back at the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and the same message I preach to myself every single day to one another, to whoever is willing to listen. Reconsider God. Reconsider his word. Be converted. Return that your sins may be blotted out, erased, regardless of what they have been so that times Of refreshing may come and again this imagery this time of refreshing in the context of the book of the book of Acts this is God sending his Holy Spirit to dwell in his creatures you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 when God created man male and female in his image we are told that God breathed the breath of life into Adam and Adam became a living being our understanding of the Word of God when Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God, that that was the death of their spirit, the death and the separation in that relationship with God. That once Jesus paid for all sins, on the cross, past, present, and future, and rose again from the dead in evidence of that sacrifice, that when he sent the Holy Spirit, this is, you go sit in John 22, after his resurrection, he speaks to the disciples the same word. He breathed into the disciples and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. This imagery, when it comes to repentance, this imagery, when it comes to finding space to breathe, The word for spirit in the Old Testament is ruach, the Holy Spirit, the holy breath. He is the one who causes us to be alive. He is the one who grants to us his rest and his peace. He is the one who refreshes us and satiates our soul with him and with him alone. One thing I will seek, and that is the Lord to be in his presence, to worship in his presence, to inquire, to go beyond the veil, which is through the flesh of Christ into the very presence of our God. And not just today, but in the future, there is coming a time of restoration. So he says that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord today, right now, and that he may send in the future, Jesus Christ, who was preached to you, whom heaven must receive, Jesus ascended into heaven until the times of restoration. There is a future restoration of all that we see in this world, all of its evil, all of its darkness, all of its brokenness. The heavens and the earth are going to be undone and done away with in the time of restoration. There is a new heaven, there is a new earth, there is a A complete and total newness and restoration of us fully, this glorification that we're promised in the future, this time of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And church says, amen. Worship team, come on up. This is one of these ideas when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to prayer, worship, service, your relationship with the Lord. Often we can find it to be tremendously, uh, you you can have a perspective of toil within it. David has every reason in his circumstance in that day to have been toiling. That must have been an extremely hard day. But even in the midst of that very, very hard day, that man and those men and those women and those kids and that community, they found a moment where they were refreshed, not just physically, but they were refreshed because they reminded themselves of who God is, what his word says, and have complete and total confidence. God, I trust you. This circumstance, God, that, that right there, that's evil. But God, I trust you. I know that you've done something about the evil in my own soul. You have forgiven me and you have washed me and you give me your rest every day. You give me that, those moments to be refreshed in you and through your spirit. But ultimately, you give me rest and peace and tranquility through your son day by day.